I kind of hoped um, whoever put it was putting tonight together that they would have put a better picture of me on social media for this, though. Hey? Not a great photo. <laughs> I mean, my wife literally works at the church, and they couldn't find a better photo, so. <laughs> so heavy. I was like, literally, you've got access to my whole Facebook profile. You could have picked any number of 100 photos. Um, Cool, my name is Warren. Um, it's an incredible privilege to be sharing tonight. Um, I'm gonna have a lot of, whole lot of fun, I hope. Um, worship was really, really, really sweet. Um, and I'm trusting it's gonna be an awesome platform into what he wants to do. Um, I'm gonna pray quickly, if that's cool. Father, I love that when you step into a room, what all of a sudden becomes possible. I love Holy Spirit that when you come, we can experience the most extraordinary person in our Father in the most extraordinary ways. And I just pray tonight that there would be a, a new sense of your love breaking into this room, a new sense of revelation in and around our identities and what's available to us as, as your people, as your kids, as your family. And just even tonight, we just pray that you would put your foot down on the accelerator in this meeting that Sunday nights would turn into a fireball meeting of rapid acceleration of tangibles within your kingdom. We want to see you move in this place. We want to see this whole pact with young people, Father God. Touch us tonight. Transform us tonight. We love you. Amen. Amen. Cool. I had, um, is Ryan Minetti still in the room? Just popped out. Great. The one guy I did have a a word for. <laughs> um, hopefully you'll come back, but um, it was quite interesting. I, I was in a meeting, uh, I think it was towards the end of last year with a very good friend of mine, and um, I went into an encounter where this person appeared before me, and I was trying to make out who he was, and um, he started, he had a, um, a tape measure over his shoulder, and he looked very trendy, so I was trying to work out, like, who is this person? Is it Jesus? You know, is it, is it an angelic visitation? What's going on? Anyway, long story short, this person walked up to me, and he started to dress me, and as he began to dress me, I, f I felt like he knew me, if that makes sense. I thought it was like he knew my specific, like, style. He knew what I would like, and as he dressed me, I began to feel more and more and more, not just alive, but like myself, and I felt known, it was really, really weird. And I was trying to figure out and see who this, this person was doing this, and eventually I was dressed and he turned around and began to walk away. And I kind of like called after him and he turned around and, and looked me in the eyes and all of a sudden I can see his face and he said to me, I love to make you look like Jesus. And there's something about the person of the Holy Spirit, who that was, who loves to make you and I look like Jesus, smell like Jesus. He is at work within you, he's at work around you to transform you, but also to make you who you are. I didn't feel like he was trying to make me someone else. I, I felt like he was trying to bring me to life, if that makes sense. And while I was sitting um, in the session, it was quite weird. I, I haven't really experienced that type of um, kind of picture or vision since. And all of a sudden, I felt like someone was almost correcting my collar or like kind of neatening my collar. I was sitting going, you know, kind of what's going on? I almost feel like someone's touching me around my neck. And all of a sudden I looked down and I was wearing royal, like royal robes and I was almost dressed like a king, if that makes sense. And all of a sudden I began to see from his eyes as he looked around the room and there were people all around the room dressed like royalty, dressed like kings, dressed like queens. And I feel like two things tonight. I feel like if you don't feel 
like you are royalty and you are like a king in the house of the Father. He wants to redress you. He wants to put the pieces of you back together like we're singing that song, if that makes sense. He wants to reintroduce you to who you are and what's available to you. But also for those who are wearing those robes, to let you know that you are not alone in ruling and reigning in this kingdom. That he is teaching you, empowering you, and transforming you to rule with him and like him in what you're doing. Awesome. So I love the good news. I love the good news of the gospel. The too good to be true good news. That is bewildering, that creates wonder in the sense of who he is and what he's done for us. And I'm hoping tonight there's gonna be a sense of this is gonna be a good news message. And um, when I was preparing with the Father, I felt him um, say to me tonight, he wanted us to go after what was available to us. Um, so I went um, to a passage of scripture or a text that he's built um, some thinking and revelation over years with me. Um, I went straight there, and it's a good thing um, to have scripture in your life that the Father builds history with you into. Does that make sense? So every now and again, I think with Revelation, we have an idea that the Holy Spirit's speaking into an area or speaking to something, even within Scripture. We look at it, we go, wow, and then we walk away. And so much of what Revelation is is something that develops. There's layers, there's textures. And so much of Revelation he wants to bring, part of Revelation that he wants to create and do is bring almost what looks like a 360-degree vision for. So often if you build mindsets and, and, and understanding in and around specific text, what he does is he ends up bringing different angles as you reread it over time. New ideas, new understanding, new questions. And he ends up creating a picture or a paradigm that you're able to see clearly through and it almost becomes something that he begins to build off, if that makes sense. You go through a trying time or you go through something and all of a sudden there's an entire picture that he's built and he's built history into that you can begin to trust. Making sense? So this is one of those scriptures for me. This is one of those texts for me. And it is the, um, the parable of the prodigal son. I'm not gonna go too much into the younger son. It's basically a story that Jesus tells in his day. Am I very loud? No, jeepers. I feel like I'm roaring, jeepers. Anyway, um, I feel like I'm gonna get a suntan here as well. Um, (laughs) That's incredibly cool. Um, Apparently I need the tan, so that's awesome. Fantastic. It's, it's a story that Jesus tells of a father and two sons. And I think if you've been in and around church for a while, you would have heard it before. Basically, a younger son comes to his father, says, I want what is mine of, of our family inheritance now, takes it, he squanders it in kind of worldly passion. Famine hits the land that he's in, he ends up, everything falls apart, he ends up working for a citizen in a foreign land, basically tending and feeding pigs. He comes into his right mind, realizes, wow, if I were to go back to my father's house and even be a servant, I would have more than enough to eat and my life would be a lot better than what it would be right now. And we know the scripture, as he returns home to come back as a servant and a slave, basically, as he returns, the father sees him coming in the distance, gets up and runs to him, kisses him, embraces him, puts his very robe, his very ring, his sandals on him, and he no longer, He's not returning as a servant or a slave, he's returning as a son that he left as, that makes sense. Credible picture of the father heart looking toward the world right now. Those who are lost, who don't know him, he is waiting and wanting to run toward, to kiss, to embrace, 
to literally clothe them with the very robes we're sitting in right now. Anyway, long story short, older brother is now working in a field. He hears the celebration, a whole bunch of things are going on. Um, he asks his servant what is going on in the house. He has, I think he has an idea. Long story short, the servant says to him, we are having a feast, we've killed the fattened calf, your brother who has lost has now returned home. He won't come into the house, is very angry, and the father walks out, and this is kind of where I want to engage tonight. Um, the, younger, the older brother says to him, you've killed the fattened calf for this young man, he's taken our inheritance, and he's wrecked it, he's returning home, and now you're giving him more of my portion, as in he's being returned to celebration rather than ridicule. And the father says something really interesting. He says, son, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. And that's kind of what I wanna to build tonight around in terms of what's available to us. In this scripture and in this text, Jesus uses the word huos every time he mentions the word son. And huos means to be adopted. So the whole way through where it mentions both sons from the beginning, it says huos, 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 huos. It gets to the point where he says son to the older brother and he uses another word. He uses the word called technon, which basically means to be born, to bear, or to bear a child. And he basically does this for a reason. He's giving us an insight or a highlight into a standard for our birthright. He's taking a moment to pull away from everything that's gone on in that text to highlight a specific moment that would be for those who would come, who would be born of him, if that makes sense, making sense. And he says this, son, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. And I wanna unpack those two things. Firstly, it's intimacy. In son, you're always with me. And secondly, everything that I have is yours. That is our inheritance. Cool, you're following me. Sorry, it's, it's not an easy passage to unpack because it's actually massive. So, I hope I'm doing a half good enough job. So in this conversation, the father goes, Technon, son, my child who was born to me, I'm always with you. So you're always with me. The word always is a very permanent word. Everyone say always. Always, always denotes 24 seven. Am I right? We have a concept in our charismatic church where a lot of the time we build our encounter with the father, a lot of our relationship in and around worship sessions or meetings or coming into a context even at home where you worship him or you begin to talk to him in moments and you allocate what almost feels like or what I oftentimes feel like is um, when you engage with him, he's there. And what he's saying in this is that part of our inheritance is that we would have 24-7 intimacy with him. Think about time. Think about what this does. We understand that our yesterday is his. Our today and our tomorrow look like we are always, always with him. He is always with us. So imagine waking up tomorrow morning and realizing that the entire day you're gonna live, you are actually in a space of intimacy with your father. What about thinking about your future and tomorrow? What about looking into your next steps, realizing that he is waiting, into your, waiting in your tomorrow? You cannot live apart from him. There is no separation that is a lie. This incredible statement where with this oldest son, he's reconciling him to his heart first. He's going, I am all, you are always with me. As in, I'm gonna, he's drawing his son away from the situation with the younger son to his heart to see who his father really is. 
Okay, all following me. I remember being in a church, it was really interesting, and there was a very prophetic woman who gave a word, a church that I was at a little while ago, and she said whenever she comes to a church, generally what happens is she has a vision of a box in the, in the center of the stage, and worship starts and the box opens and God comes out. So basically this cloud comes out, and then worship ends, the box closes, and then God gets put to one side and then they carry on. I'm not saying that happens here. But she said something really interesting. She said, as I walked into this church, I saw the same very box, but the lid was off. And he was everywhere. And that is the very thing the Father wants for your life. And I'm not talking about access, because I think so much of what the grace message and the goodness of God does to us is it makes us realize that we have access to him. But access is limited because we have access for intimacy's sake. So the Father is not waiting at arm's length for you to come. He's waiting with his heart for you to come. So his heart is with you 24-7. Isn't that beautiful? And then he says, with me. Son, Technon, you are always with me. And I love the fact that he says, with me, rather than, and I've said it a couple times and made a couple mistakes, but instead of saying, he's with you. Does that make sense? He doesn't say, I am with you. He says, you are with me. Because if he said, if I'm with you, often what we would do is we would limit him to what we can see in what we do. Does that make sense? What he's doing is he's saying, you are now with me. So I ask the question immediately, well, where is he? Does anyone want to answer? He's on a throne. In the very throne room of God, in heaven. And can I say that David got it right when he said the highest heavens cannot contain you? So he limits himself to exist in heaven. Heaven doesn't contain the Father. The Father limits himself to exist in heaven because he's beyond even what he's created. Does that make sense? So the question is, well, where is he? Because that's where you are. Jesus declares when he comes into the earth, the kingdom of God is at hand, correct? Around, demonstrates power, transformation. Someone's sick, he heals them. Signs, wonders, follow the ministry. But in one of his texts, he says, well, the kingdom of God is now within you. The kingdom of God is now within you. The kingdom of God is right here, right now. You are the place. You are his point of access. This very place, you are the place where heaven and earth meet. Amen. 24-7. His heart with you. Not just access, but intimacy. So it's as simple as this. You are not very far away from heaven. Sound good? I'm losing my track all over the place. So the point of it is that he wanted to include us in his space so that we can live from heaven rather than toward heaven. So a lot of our Christian context is we, we're calling heaven into the space that we're in. We're calling heaven into the space we're in when you're already in heaven. And you get to live out of the kingdom within into the space that you're in. So right now, we've got 70 atmosphere changes because you, you are living in an open heaven. Extraordinary, you are extraordinary. And right now what's extraordinary is you're wearing his very robes because you represent him on this earth. Not in part, in fullness. And I'm not gonna go down that road because I might get a little bit drunk and fall off the stage. 
So Colossians 3. <laughs> if then you've been raised with Christ, seek things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So he's saying you have been raised to new life. Set your minds on things that are which are above. He wouldn't tell you to do that if it was not possible or if it wasn't completely 100% relevant. Can you put up the second slide? Sorry, I've completely missed. So there's a scripture in Luke um, just touching on the still in the intimacy space. And I just want to read it, and I've highlighted one of the parts of the text. Um, it says this. Um, if you have a Bible or you want to turn there, go to Luke eleven seven, or I think it's a little bit before that, around um, 3 or 4. And he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he'll answer from within, do not bother me, the door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I'll tell you though, sorry, I'll tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is, a, he is his friend, yet because of his impudence he will rise and give him whatever he needs. Okay, long scripture. Long story short, a friend arrives at a friend's house. He's got a guest who's arrived at his house. Long story. Knocks on the door, says, I need three loaves because I want to be hospitable. Knocks on the door, and this person is in bed with his children. He says, I'm not going to get up because my children are with me in bed. This is actually a picture of the father. Okay, I'll explain it now. You're looking at me a little bit like I'm... Um... <laughs> okay, so it's, it's basically another parable. <laughs> Long story short, what, it's, what he's basically wanting to go, so what I'm wanting to go into is in this context, the person who's in bed is the father and his children are with him. A friend knocks on the door, says to him, do you have three loaves of bed? And he says, no, I'm not going to leave because my children are in bed with me. What he's breaking down in this text is you're not a friend, you are the child in bed with the father, you're at rest with the father. So where I'm going is you don't need to knock on the door you're already in the intimacy and within the rest of the Father. So I know I explained that poorly. Does everyone understand? So what that says to me, it feels like warmth, it feels like closeness, it feels like intimacy, it feels like if you can imagine the Father getting up to give his friend loaves, what will he do for us who are actually in the bed with him? You don't need to knock, all you need to do is whisper. That's how close he is. Does that make sense? There's another scripture um, which I love, which is one of the most, it's, it's a fundamental New Covenant scripture. It says this in Hebrews 8, 10 to 12. For this is the covenant I'll make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I'll put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Here's the critical part. None of them shall teach his neighbor, none his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me, from the least of them to the greatest. The fundamental basis of our covenant is that we will all know him. The church plays a critical and fundamental role in helping us to find the Father, to disciple us, to walk with Him. But the whole point of, of the, at the church context and leadership and discipleship is to bring us into the place where you have your own individual relationship with the Father. 
so that you would know his voice and that all would know him intimately, not from another person, no man shall teach his neighbor. What that means is, is, is everything he wants you to know, he's gonna tell you. He wants to build an intimate relationship with you. That is the basis of a covenant. It's face to face. So this role here is to empower you to, to walk away and build a relationship with the Father. And he is there with his heart right there, 24-7, wanting to talk to you and listen to you. In the very bed, knock on the door, no, I'm with my kids. He is jealous for you, that's what it means. He is jealous for your intimacy, that's what it means. It means he's reluctant to leave because of you. Isn't that beautiful? And in terms of inheritance, um, we see the older brother in this text working in a field. And he says to the father, I've been working like a slave for you. You've haven't even given me a skinny calf, never mind the fattened one, you've, you've killed now for this you know, delinquent that's come home. And this is an interesting conversation when we get into the inheritance part, because he says this, everything that I have is yours. And what he's saying to his son is everything belongs to you. Everything that is mine is yours. So it means he's owned that fattened calf from its infancy. It means that everything that is the father's is now yours. I know it's radical. <laughs> but it means if you're his child, it means you an heir. And it means if you're an heir, it means you're a ruler or a co-ruler with Christ. And the reason why we have this privilege is because of what Jesus has done. He's extraordinary, and that acts and sacrifice was extraordinary. But the point of it was that you could have the fullness of his original intention for your life, which was that you would bear the very image of God and that you would rule with God as a king on the earth. It's all yours. And what it means is this, is where the son, the older son was working, what he should have been doing was receiving because it was his birthright. So he was wearing the very robes that the son was restored to, working in a field. Does the picture, it doesn't make sense, does it? So where I'm going with this is, don't get me wrong, you, there will be hard work in life, but his rest and the person of the Holy Spirit will empower you to do way beyond what you will be able to do on your own. And it's in your DNA to own it all. So you don't have to work for what you wanna see, not only for you, but for others. You need to receive it because it's his intention to give it to you. Probably one of the most pivotal encounters I ever had with the Father, I'm gonna spare you the details, but I came out of it and he said something really interesting to me and it was about unpacking something of the kingdom of God and he said this, Warren, it's our kingdom. And we talk about his kingdom, we talk about the kingdom of God and I think part of the conversation the Father wants to have with us is it's not just his kingdom, it's now our kingdom. Because there is an administration of this that is now ours. There's a responsibility, and that's responding to his ability, it's not hard work, that is now ours. 
I think it's extraordinary. <laughs> That's how much he believes in you. That's how much he believes in what his son's done. That he would trust all of his kingdom to you and I. And the reality is this, is he's given you and I the authority on the earth right now to make earth look like heaven. The very same spirit that walked with Jesus is on your life and in your life, making you look like Jesus, dressing you in his very robes, teaching you to rule and to reign. And can I just say that this kingdom is powerful? It's scary. The early church advanced in power and it was the infant of what we are meant to be. It was an infancy. The early church father or the early church leaders would walk into cities and they would either be transformed or they'd be kicked out, one or the other. Jesus walked in power. You are powerful. The Holy Spirit is not limited by any person. He is above all. So right now you have a kingdom within you, a kingdom that you actually hold the keys to, a father who's with you and an entire space that is now yours. And a person who's the most powerful, extraordinary, creative person I've ever met. And can I say the next move for this church and the next move for our city that we so badly want to see is going to come in power. Amen. I'm not trying to create fear, I'm trying to create expectation. I remember reading my first book by Chris uh, Valentin. Uh, everyone might know him, might not know him. He's from Bethel. He's one of the prophetic leaders, um, incredible um, father, actually, within the prophetic. And in one of his books, he writes this um, about the scripture where it says, Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Well, he says, who do you think the kings and lords are that he rules over? Think about our original mandates on the earth. Bear my image, multiply, Represent me, have authority. He didn't come back to make you safe and just to save you. Can I say this? He didn't even come back to fix you. He came back to kill you so he could live. And the point that Debbie, who's a phenomenal woman, who are can't wait to spend time with in the next little while. It's talking about resurrection life. Resurrection life is because it's living in us. I'll tell you a quick story. I was in, um, I don't know why I'm gonna say this because, but I'm gonna say it, I don't care. <laughs> it's completely sideways. I was in McCord's hospital and we were seeing some incredible things happen a couple of years back. And there was a man um, lying in, in, in a bed, he literally, looked like he was about to, to pass away. He barely had breath. And I walked in with, with a couple of my friends and I heard the words resurrection life. And we prayed for him and there was a Muslim family um, with a whole bunch of people there um, and we ended up finding out the patriarch of the family was actually at the hospital and there's a whole group of their family all around. And what we didn't know is they'd been coming to visit this father and they'd been watching this man slowly kind of deteriorate and it looked like he was gonna pass. And I didn't know what was going on. We prayed for him enough. We felt power just into this man's body. And he kind of got up, walked to the bathroom, came back, and he hugged me. And I, I just, I thought he just was grateful that we had prayed for him. But this man hadn't walked in over a month. 
And I had a couple of younger people with me, and to make a long story short, he sat up, he drank some juice, and he just kept walking around, this guy. And one of the people in this, in this Muslim family came to me and said, listen, can you come and pray for our father? And I said, no, absolutely. And I walked up to him and I felt the, say, felt the, I felt the Holy Spirit say to me, I'm gonna make, I'm gonna show him my goodness. So we prayed for him and the Holy Spirit descended on him. And I was like now watching and I, we, could, we knew that they were Muslim. And I said, sir, how do you feel? He said, I've never, I've never experienced good, goodness like this. And he gave his life to Jesus in front of his whole family. And by that point, the couple of kids were now jumping up and down on beds that were half empty, screaming, we've got healing for free. And they were running around going crazy because they believed it. But I mean, we saw an outbreak of, of literally miracles. I watched, I watched a woman, I think, I don't know if it's elephantitis or something where someone's legs are big. I watched a woman's leg, literally there was this big shrink in my hands. I mean, by the time, that time, they were just walking around and people were just getting, I mean, we, by the end of that night, I don't even, uh, anyway, I was crawling out of there. But resurrection life, when it touches a place, transforms it. And you are carrying that very resurrection life. It's literally running through your veins. The city is surrounded waiting on us. What's the point of notes? Because they just... It's interesting, I was um, having a chat to Adam and Ryan um, after Colab on Friday, and just Adam mentioned something to me that really um, kind of struck a chord with me, and he said two-thirds of scripture is based on the father trying to remove slavery from his people. And I, having read the Bible for years, went, I, I couldn't agree more. And just, I remember looking at this back at this passage and seeing the younger son look to his father's house and go, there'll be enough to eat there, I'll be okay. And I think a lot of where the church is, and Adam mentioned some, something similar along those lines, is um, this isn't about just getting our needs met and surviving. This is about the overflow of the potential of the kingdom of God. And if we are still thinking based on need, we haven't even got into the conversation yet. And can I just say this, the Father is for you. And if you're in a space right now where there's just a tangible, and we've all been there in life, where there is need, can I just say he is for you and he is on that need? But it's time to dream. It's time to go, Father, what are you in? Where is the desire, what is the next step? Because he is with you and he is for you and he is fighting for that need, but your call of significance Come and sit with him and look at his perspective because he is going to train you to think like he thinks and look at things the way he sees them. In terms of the role of, uh, sorry, I'm just going to have fun. In terms of the role of the older son, what I love about it is he ends up preparing the fattened calf while he's working in this field and they, they slaughter it for the younger son for the celebration. What if our role in living this out looks like us preparing the very feast the world will receive. What happens if the responsibility of us living out what's available right now will be the very inheritance the lost returning home will step into? This absolutely wrecks me.
Because that older brother was meant to be sitting next to the father waiting for that son to get home, to run with him and to kiss him. That's what Jesus did. That is our older brother. That is our model. I remember the other day I was playing golf, which I do a little bit too much of. Um, <laughs> and um, there was a, a youngish guy, well, he's a little bit older than me. Um, we played, and he ended up joining us. Um, and I ended up recognizing him from school, and he was a couple years older than me. And something struck a chord in me where I just I felt an extraordinary amount of love. Didn't really know why, and I didn't really know it was aimed at him. But after nine holes, he was like, should we play a couple more holes? And I was like, yeah, let's do it. And I kind of couldn't leave the guy alone. Um, it was like, should we play a couple more holes after that? And it was starting to get dark. I was like, let's do it. My friends were going like, it's dark. And he, he wanted to play. So I was like, let's play. And I realized I actually was following him around wherever he walked. And I said to the father, this actually isn't normal. What's going on? And he said, this is the closest he's been to my love in a very long time. And I literally was, I mean, if I see him today, generally I'll drop what I'm doing and I'll start running towards him. I'm like, jeep, this guy must think I'm crazy. <laughs> he must think I'm crazy. And that's a little bit of the father's heart 24-7 being available. Where can I be honest with you, it was very, very easy for me to carry on running around after him. Just for an opportunity to see him come into the knowledge of him the lover of his soul, the one he was designed to live for from heaven's calling. And I think it's an incredible privilege that we not only receive and steward this kingdom for us in our now, but we get to do that for who's coming. And I love this church and I love its leaders. I think this place is poised for an incredible, significant move. And I see the hearts of my friends, and I see hearts of people here, and I see him. And I see the Holy Spirit wanting you to know that you're royalty, and wanting to know your Father's with you, that you're with him, that your inheritance looks like heaven, and not heaven in the future, heaven now. We all need to grow. I'm not saying it's gonna be completely instant. We grow within grace. We grow within our ability to walk this out. But that is a journey I wanna take. But can I say that you're a king and a queen? Can I say you look like him? Can I say you've got the keys to his house and keys to everything? And you get to be glorious in the way you pour that out on the world. I was thinking a little bit about um, the father, the servants giving the father the robes that the, servant, that the son returning would wear. And I was thinking about what he would actually have smelt like. It's like he's literally like he's wearing the very, the finest robe within the, the father's house, but he smells like a pigsty. And can I say that the father is running toward the pigsty? And he's totally okay with it being a little bit uncomfortable a little bit dirty, a little bit smelly. He ran towards him. He ran towards the smell. And that those robes and that ring and those sandals weren't wasted. And what's amazing about the story, and I keep kind of going back to it, it's, it, it ends up being almost not concluded, not conclusive. Both sons have an opportunity to walk out their identity with the father. Both sons have the conversations with the father that they need to live out who they are. And what I love about that is we get to write the final chapter. We get to conclude the story. 
because our inheritance of intimacy and, and the full provision of his household, of everything that is his, is ours. How am I doing for time? <laughs> cool. Um, I hope tonight, in some way, revealed what was available to you and I. And I was really privileged to have this conversation with myself for me as I'm having it with you. But the Father is taken by you. Be taken by him. He's extraordinary. And what I would love to see come back to the, the body of Christ is a sense of wonder. Because he is not normal, neither are you. Yeah. A sense of wonder of the very person, the wonder of the kingdom. Just open John and begin to read and see what Jesus did. That's your starting point. Very same Holy Spirit. He knows you. He's dressing you. Straightening the collar. He's creating a style for you, creatively, for the creatives. He's in your design, he's in your creativity. And can I say this, I had a word when the meeting started. If you're in a space where you need to make some choices, can I just say this, your choices will not define you. You will define your choices in the next season. There's crossroads here for a number of people. Can I just say you're very, very significant and you will define your choice. You will make not only the right choice, you will make his choice. I'm gonna pray. Even right now, Holy Spirit, I just pray that you would completely encounter every heart. I just pray that your love, the love that you shed abroad in every heart would just be poured out. That there'll be such a conviction in all of us of that, just what Clint sang, just your love is better than life that your love would overtake us, that your love would drive us to the world, that your love would drive us to truly believe what's available. Even right now, Father, I pray that you would whisper. I pray that you would talk. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would bring an even greater conviction of our righteousness and what's been done for us. And I just pray that you would set this, this fire, in, sorry, every heart in this community and even tonight on fire. That it would be a fire that would literally burn for every heart around them and for our city. You're extraordinary and we honor you. We love that we are yours and that we're in your house. Yeah. Amen.